Good morning. For those of you who don't know me, I'm A.T. Stoddard, one of the ruling elders here at Jordan Valley Church. As you may know, our pastor John is on vacation with his family, and Pastor Wes was on vacation this past week. And so I have the opportunity and privilege to bring you a message from God's Word this morning. If you have a, a Bible, I would encourage you to turn to Luke chapter 5. We will be looking at verses 27 through 39, the end of the chapter, or you may follow along on the screen. Luke chapter 5, verse 27. After this, Jesus went out and saw a tax collector by the name of Levi sitting at his tax booth. Follow me, Jesus said to him, and Levi got up and left everything and followed him. Then Levi held a great banquet for Jesus at his house, and a large crowd of tax collectors and others were eating with them. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law who belonged to their sect complained to his disciples, Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Jesus answered them, It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. They said to him, John's disciples often fast and pray, and so do the disciples of the Pharisees. But yours go on eating and drinking. Jesus answered, Can you make the friends of the bridegroom fast while he was with them? But the time will come when the bridegroom will be taken from them. In those days they will fast. He told them this parable. No one tears a piece out of a new garment to patch an old one. Otherwise, they will have a torn the new garment, and the patch from the new will not match the old. And no one pours new wine into old wineskins. Otherwise, the new wine will burst the skins. The wine will run out, and the wineskins will be ruined. No, new wine must be poured into new wineskins. And no one, after drinking old wine, wants the new, for they say... The old is better. Father, as we look at this passage, we ask you to speak to each of us from your word. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. For we pray in your Son's name. Amen. Well, we all receive a, a variety of calls in life. Some of those calls you can ignore. These might be the robocalls you get or a sales pitch. It's really unlikely that there will be any repercussions from ignoring those calls and just hanging up. On the other hand, there are some calls you cannot or should not ignore. Your spouse or child has been in a car crash. The police are knocking on your door. Children, when your parents are calling you, telling you it's time to come home, you definitely should not ignore them. And then there are other calls you should definitely ignore. You don't want to take calls from some scammer who's trying to separate you from your money. Our passage today, as we look at this, seems like a plain historical narration of when Jesus called Levi to follow him. Jesus calls Levi, Levi follows him, Levi hosts a reception to introduce his friends to Jesus, a few people complain, Jesus tells a parable, end of story, now we can move to chapter 6. But 
what appears to be just a historical account actually depicts many doctrinal truths of the gospel. We are seeing a call that Levi could not ignore. As we look at the passage, we'll consider three primary points about the theological doctrine of our salvation. And lest I scare you with theological and doctrine, I will define those terms, just definitions. Theological just means relating to the study of God. The gospel is all of God, and we'll consider it from the standpoint of who he is and his work. And doctrine is simply what we believe. What we believe is doctrine. And the call of Levi illustrates what we believe about salvation offered freely in the gospel of Christ. We're going to begin first by considering the outward call. Then we will look at the effectual call. And finally, we will look at the response to that call. So first, the outward call. There are parallel passages in Matthew 9 and Mark 2. These are almost verbatim accounts of the same call as we see here, Jesus calling Levi. And so the question is, who is Levi? We don't hear his name mentioned in any other passages. However, Matthew, in that parallel account, tells us that Levi is Matthew. So in Mark, he's called Levi. In the book of Matthew, he uses his own name, Matthew. Levi may well have been his family name, possibly of the tribe of Levi, but he becomes known as Matthew after he is called to follow Jesus. And that's where we see him in the rest of the New Testament, being called by his name, Matthew. We're told that Levi was a tax collector. Tax collectors are sometimes called publicans in other translations, and you may hear that word from time to time, it's just a tax collector. But the tax collectors worked for the Roman government. The, uh, Levi was a Jew, and at that time, the tax collectors were despised by other Jews. Even today, we're not all that fond of tax collectors, but at that time, the tax collectors were basically mercenaries working for the Roman government against their fellow Jews. They were considered traitors by many of their fellow Jews. And we find in the New Testament, multiple locations where tax collectors and sinners are linked together in the same phrase. They worked for Rome. They were used by the Roman government, but not even well regarded by the Romans. The tax collectors had to compete for the job. They made bids to have that job, and the higher bidders were awarded the contract from the Roman government authorities. The tax collectors made their money by the spread or the difference between the tax they collected and what they had to deliver to the Roman government. The Roman officials didn't really care how much they collected as long as the government received the tax they had levied. The tax collectors had the backing of the Roman authorities 
who would then enforce the tax collection if necessary. So that's who Levi is. And Jesus sees Levi sitting in the tax booth or the place where the taxes were collected. It isn't clear what taxes he may have been collecting at that time. It could have been a booth along a main thoroughfare collecting a transportation tax, similar to when we go on a toll road. And some of you may remember uh, when toll roads had toll booths. Most of that's been replaced by electronic systems now. But there was taxes for use of, of transportation facilities. Could have been charging the fee for use of the road. It may also have been that he was collecting taxes where the taxes were levied on the amount of fish being caught. The fishermen coming up. Uh, we saw a couple of weeks ago the calling of Peter and the fishermen. Uh, they were taxed for fish that they caught, much like an income tax. We don't know, but we do know his role was to collect those taxes for the Roman government. Jesus says simply, follow me. This is, is the outward, general, or universal call of the gospel. The call to follow Jesus goes out to all. John the Baptist in Matthew chapter 3 said, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. We see it in Mark chapter 1 verse 15, before the disciples were even called, Jesus says, repent and believe in the gospel. Peter in his sermon at Pentecost in Acts chapter 2 says, repent and be baptized, every one of you. Paul appears before Agrippa in Acts chapter 26. Paul gives a summary of the gospel and a call to believe. And in Romans chapter 10, verse 14, Paul asks, how then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? That is the general, universal, outward call of the gospel. As a church, we are to proclaim the gospel. The call we give to repent and believe is that general call of the gospel. We don't try to determine who might or might not believe. We simply declare the truth of the gospel. All are dead in sin. All are under the wrath of God. All are called to repentance in faith in Christ. And this is the Great Commission that Jesus gave in Matthew chapter 28. Go and make disciples, baptizing and teaching them to observe all that he commanded. God calls everyone, everywhere, to repent and believe. Yet we know that many never listen to the call, which brings us to the second point, the effectual call. So Levi, after Jesus tells him, follow me, leaves everything and follows Jesus. Why does he do this? Not all who hear the outward call will follow. Judas heard the call to follow Jesus, yet betrayed him. Agrippa in Acts, having listened to Paul, says he is almost persuaded, but there is no evidence that he was ever actually persuaded. 
Jesus gave the parable of the sower and the soils as an illustration. The seeds are sown widely. They land on the hard path, on rocky ground, among thorns, and on good soil. And it's only the good soil that supports the growth of the seeds. How is it that some people respond like Levi? We are we're dead in sin. We're God's enemies. We are under God's wrath in what Thomas Boston called the state of nature. Augustine and Jonathan Edwards described man's condition as moral inability, unable to choose righteous acts. We are able to respond like Levi only because God's call is effectual for some. Effectual just means to produce the intended result. God's effectual call draws a sinner to Christ. In Romans 8, verses 29 and 30, we read, For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. Those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. Jesus said, no one comes to the Father, or comes to him rather, unless the Father draws him. A good illustration, I think, of the effectual call is when Jesus raises Lazarus in John chapter 11. You may recall, John writes that Lazarus had died, had been in the tomb four days. Jesus comes and he calls to Lazarus and tells him to come out of the tomb. Lazarus is raised from the dead and walks out of the tomb. That is an effectual call. We must be transformed from the state of nature to the state of grace. Theologians call this regeneration. Jesus described it to Nicodemus as being born again. Our hearts are transformed from stone to flesh. Through God's grace, we are given faith to repent and to turn to trust in Jesus. While we were dead in our sins, God calls us out of the tomb to new life in Christ. As we read in our corporate reading this morning from the larger catechism, effectual calling is the work of God's grace. It is from nothing in us, but only from God's love. He enlightens our mind and renews our will. With a new will, we may freely answer his call and embrace his grace. So we see this in the transformation in the life of Levi. It isn't spelled out directly in the passage, but it certainly is evident. He left everything behind, rose and followed Jesus. As a tax collector, he would have been relatively well off financially, yet he left that behind. He becomes one of the 12 apostles, he becomes, as known, becomes known as Matthew and is the author of the gospel, according to Matthew. We see a complete transformation with Paul when he's converted on the road to Damascus. He was a persecutor of the Jews. Jesus calls him. His life is radically transformed 
And he goes from persecuting the Jews to being an apostle called by the Lord. These are effectual calls where the spirit moves to transform the mind and will. This transformation moves people and enables them to respond to that outward call. So what then is the response to the call of the gospel? What is our response to be? Well, as we just saw, there's a major transformation in the life of Levi. He leaves everything to follow Jesus. This is a demonstration of faith and repentance. He turns from a former life and follows Jesus, exercising faith. The next thing we read is he holds a reception. He's bearing testimony of who Jesus is and what he has done. It's not clear if this reception was immediately after being called or at some later point. It seems like it may be more likely it was a little later after he'd been with Jesus for some period of time and learning from him. And then he invites his friends to meet Jesus. And who are his friends? We're told they include other tax collectors. Most likely not other Jews who weren't tax collectors. There were other people, but we don't necessarily know who they were. Uh, in the similar passage, the parallel passage in Matthew, it says many tax collectors and sinners. And I think one thing we can be sure of is it was not the Pharisees who were there at that reception. In fact, we see that some people are offended that Jesus would attend a reception with these people. The ones complaining are the Pharisees and their scribes. So who were the Pharisees? Originally, they organized as a group to promote living according to God's law, to promote righteous living. But then they began adding more strict requirements than God had stated in his law. And as they added more and more restrictions, they really moved away from true faith and belief in God. If God says don't work on the Sabbath, then they made strict laws of what constituted work. Did you know you, you can buy kitchen appliances today that have a Sabbath mode so that you don't work accidentally? The Pharisees began to see themselves as, as more righteous than others. And they would avoid association with those less righteous people. The Pharisees mentioned the tax collectors and sinners. We don't know who the sinners are, but the Pharisees obviously disapproved of associating with those people who were now in a reception with Levi, Matthew, uh, Jesus, and the other tax collectors. Jesus responds to them in their complaint. He says he came to call sinners to repentance. These are the very people he is with at that reception. And Jesus is following the path that was started in many ways by John the Baptist in calling sinners to repentance. The Pharisees accused Jesus of eating and drinking rather than fasting. There, there were many fasts recorded in the Old Testament, but God didn't really specify a regular fast as a requirement. The Pharisees, however, had added many days of fasting, including weekly fasts. Jesus' disciples weren't following those. 
Jesus is clear that there are times for fasting and times for feasting. During the short time he was with his disciples, it was not a time for fasting. That time for fasting would come. But then Jesus gives the the parable of the new cloth and the new wine. The illustration of taking a piece from a new garment and putting it on an old garment may not be as easy for us to understand today. Today, most of our cloth doesn't shrink. It's been treated, so it won't shrink when washed. But the ancient natural cloths would have shrunk and and would be worn and it would be obvious of an older uh, garment. So taking a patch out of a new garment, new cloth, would ruin the new garment. But sewing that patch onto the old garment would not match. You'd have new cloth, old cloth. If that new cloth were to shrink, it would disform that older garment, maybe even tear it if it was weak in places as that new, new cloth were to shrink. I think the, uh, the illustration of the wineskins may be easier to understand for us. At the time, wine was stored in bags made from animal skins. And the new wine would be placed in the skins as the, the wine fermented. So as it was put in the skins, it was juice. As it fermented, carbon dioxide would be produced and the skins would stretch and expand. The old wine skins would have been stretched, would have been dried out, and they would be torn by that expanding gas. The wine's lost, the wine skins are no good. And so what is Jesus telling us in this parable? I think Jesus is setting the stage for the change from the old covenant to the new. He was introducing a complete change in the religious life of the Jews as well as Gentiles. In the new covenant, we no longer strive to follow the law to gain favor with God. We understand that we live under grace and not by the deeds of the law. In the new covenant, we both fast and feast. We hold days of prayer and fasting. As a church, we sometimes hold a day of fasting, followed by a a meal, a feast, if you will. There is a time for both. But why do we fast? We fast because it is an opportunity to focus, to draw near to God, and to concentrate in prayer. Let me stress that fasting is an opportunity for us. It is not something we do to gain any favor with God. Each week we celebrate the Lord's Supper. As we celebrate the Lord's Supper, we look back, remembering what Christ has done for us, that satisfying work he did for for the penalty of our sins and uniting us to himself. We are nourished by this feast, by the body and blood of Christ, shed for us, strengthened by Christ himself, and renewed in our covenant relationship by the Holy Spirit. We are also renewed in our relationship to the church, the body of Christ, as we take this together. And we also look forward to the marriage feast of the Lamb when all the church will be present with the Lord. Then Jesus ends that parable by saying some prefer the old wine. Often older wine is considered to be better as it ages, but that is not always the case. It depends on 
the type of wine, the vintage, how it was stored, a number of other factors. And I think here Jesus is speaking to the Pharisees. They will not want to turn from the law and all the rules of living that they had created. They burdened others with their rules, and they had loopholes that would benefit themselves. They were in positions of power, and they would not want to give that up. But Jesus is saying the old ways no longer apply. Paul in Galatians says that those who try to be justified by law have been alienated from Christ. And in Ephesians, it says, it is by grace you have been saved through faith, not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not the result of works. Jesus was telling them and us that we cannot rely on the works of the law, but must live by faith. So what we have seen in, in this passage is often called conversion. More precisely, we see God's effectual call, the regeneration transforming our mind, heart, and will, and a response of faith and repentance. The vows of membership you heard this morning reflect this understanding of God's grace. Recognizing sinfulness and repenting, professing faith in Jesus, uniting with the body of Christ in a local church, and vowing to serve him faithfully. God is calling each and every one to come. The message of the outward call is still the same, to repent and believe the gospel. We've seen that God's call is effectual, drawing some people to himself. So what is your response? Will you, like Levi, leave everything to follow him? Will you invite your friends to meet him too? Will you proclaim the good news of the gospel to those around you? Will you carry forth the general call of the gospel, knowing that it is the spirit that makes the call effectual? God calls us to give that general outward call, and God calls us to a faithful response. God is calling the question is, what is your response? Let us pray. Father, continue to speak to us this week through your word. Cause us all to hear your call to repentance and give us the faith to respond. May we all respond daily to your call as we seek to live faithfully day by day and moment by moment. May all we do be pleasing in your sight as we seek to serve your Son, in whose name we pray. Amen.